0: A very good Monday slash Tuesday slash Wednesday slash Thursday. Whenever you're listening to this, it's a weekly podcast, so I don't judge. If you're listening to this after the Super Bowl, that'd be kind of weird because this is kind of our Super Bowl uh, preview episode. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, James Timberlake, live from Radio Row in Las Vegas. That is right. Sheridan Media cooked up the money to get me down to Radio Row in Las Vegas. I'm joking. I'm joking, of course. Uh, I would not be a speck on their map to be included on the Radio Row broadcasts, obviously. Not at Radio Row. I'm in the beautiful confines of Sheridan Media, recording it where I'm always recording it. You know how it works. Radio Row is kind of weird to me. I don't know why that's a thing. It does seem like just a bunch of radio personalities and podcast personalities And then, like, athletes that aren't in the Super Bowl, just there to kind of shill advertisements. It's always been kind of weird to me. I don't love Radio Row as a concept, or a lot of the pre-Super Bowl stuff in general. It's all just ads. And you know what? That's kind of what the Super Bowl is at this point. It's all just kind of ads, Uh, especially during the Super Bowl. It's all new ads, because they know everybody's watching it, so... Welcome to Super Bowl week. This is what we're going to get for the rest of this week. I promise you, you're going to listen to your favorite radio, slow, radio, favorite radio show slash podcast. And what you're going to hear is some random, uh, some random, uh, maybe NFL player or athlete of any kind that isn't necessarily playing right now. So a football player, probably not a baseball player, but more more than likely a football player because it's it's Super Bowl week. So a football player from a team that is not in the Super Bowl. Uh, you'll you'll hear Miles Garrett come on or you'll hear Jamar Chase come on and they're here to talk to you. They're going to talk about the bounty uh, bounty towels commitment to success or something like that. Like that's going to happen. And that that is what Radio Row is all about. That is what the week leading up to Super Bowl is all about. I hate it. I kind of don't love it whatsoever, but that's part of the thing. That's what the Super Bowl is now. Right. And it's just it's advertisements and then a the football game squeezed in there in the middle with a cool halftime show as well that's also largely sponsored by a different product. So, welcome to America. That's where we are. This is the biggest time of year for television, for advertising companies, for whatever. Super Bowl week. Didn't ask for any of this. All right. It's Super Bowl week. We're going to talk some Super Bowl. I'm going to preview the whole game. Uh, I'm going to tell you what to watch, what to look for, how we got here, whatnot. I'm going to talk about a bunch of different stuff. I'm excited to do all that. Uh, but first, I want to intro the show with something a little different, something a little different before we get into the football stuff. I want to talk a little bit about Caitlin Clark. I don't remember a time in my lifetime, at the very least, or at least since I've been somewhat observant of sports. I don't really remember a time since then where a female athlete such as Caitlin Clark at the college level, at the very basic college level, where Caitlin Clark has become now the, she is the face of college basketball. There is not a bigger star, both men's or women's, that is pulling more than, than Caitlin Clark has. And I don't remember a female athlete being able to do that on the women's basketball side compared to the men's basketball side. Can you name right now a bigger star in men's basketball than Caitlin Clark, because I cannot Caitlin Clark is dominating a lot of the headlines for both men's and women's basketball. And she is the headline for both men's and women's basketball. There is not a bigger story happening in all of college basketball than Caitlin Clark and what she has done with that Iowa Hawkeyes team. If you go and look at the ticket prices for her, was final seven to eight games. They're the second ranked team in the country. Iowa Hawkeyes are, they've lost two games. They lost a uh, Ohio state, which uh, that video came out of her running off the court and running into somebody. And that was kind of a big deal. They also lost to Kansas state earlier in the season, but they're 20 and two, uh, 21 and two, excuse me. They, and they are second in the country, according to the associated Press's poll. If you look at the final seven or eight games that she has on her regular season schedule and look at the ticket prices, that are going for just to see Caitlin Clark in the Iowa Hawkeyes. Penn State, their next upcoming game, going for as low as $112. At Nebraska, $325. Michigan, $288. At Indiana, $82. Illinois, uh, $290. At Minnesota, $97. And then against Ohio State at home to end the season, $337. There is not another college team men's or women's I don't think there's another college team men's or women's that is pulling that kind of ticket pricing maybe Duke uh, against North Carolina that sort of thing big rivalry games and smaller gymnasiums like at uh, Duke Krzyzewski Court the name I can't remember the name of the arena off the top of my head I, I can't believe I'm forgetting that but maybe those sorts of places and those big rivalry games like that but other than that I don't think there are other places that are pulling that type of ticketing numbers. And this is for a women's college basketball star. This is not something that we have ever seen uh, on the college basketball scene or any other sort of athletic women's athletic scene. In my opinion, uh, there's not really been any sort of pull for one athlete on the women's side like this, that I can remember in my lifetime. There, there has been a couple who have been very, very good, especially in women's basketball. Cause that's the, the one that is, I think really, grown much more into because when you look at, you know, the men's versus the women's sports for whatever reason, uh, other than maybe like tennis, because tennis, you know, tennis is very, I would say for the most part, evenly watched between both men's and women's uh, fans of that sport. Um, Basketball is the other one that I think is trying to make those reaches into trying to grow the audience into more of a male audience as well. It's very dominantly a female audience, obviously, but they're trying to, uh, reach an audience into more of a male audience as well. And I think Caitlin Clark is maybe going to be the one that's able to bridge that gap, the ability that she has to just score points, absurd amounts of points, make absurd shots. It reminds, she reminds me a ton of when Steph Curry was coming uh, out of, uh, out of Dayton, Davidson, Davidson, if I remember correctly, I always mix those two up uh, when he was coming out of Davidson and everybody kind of thought we'd had peaked with the three point shot with Ray Allen uh, Reggie Miller as well. We never thought we'd ever, were ever be able to see a ball handling guard be able to shoot the three as effectively as Steph Curry ended up being able to rewrite the book and on how to do. And that's kind of the version of Caitlin Clark that we're seeing where she is just able to do things that are seemingly so unstoppable that the male audience for whatever reason that has had such a a, a slow turn to want to watch women's sports. Uh, that is the great equalizer, in my opinion, and Caitlin Clark is able to make that sort of equalization. They're trying to do this thing with Steph and Sabrina Sabrina Ionesco, which uh, the, the three-point competition between both of them, which I don't love because whenever you're trying to compare them head-to-head, head, you're putting the women in that situation in a very bad spot because having to compare that they're two different sports, essentially they're both playing basketball, but the women's version of the game of basketball is a lot different than the men's version of the game of basketball and having to put them head to head like that is not a benefit towards the women's version of the sport. If that makes sense. I just don't think that works very well. Uh, Whereas just viewing them in two different lights is the best way to view uh, women's basketball, men's basketball and women's sports in general. If you go and watch a college baseball game, Uh, and then a women's college softball game, there is a huge difference in the way those games are played. Uh, And I think that is kind of the same version that we have to kind of start viewing women's basketball and a lot of other women's sports. Instead of comparing them directly to the men's sport, you got to be able to find the differences between the two and appreciate the differences in the women's sport versus the men's sport. And um, I think that what Caitlin Clark is able to do on the basketball court is something that I think is going to be very appealing for a lot of mass audience clearly because she has become the most sought after uh, the most sought after college athlete in all of basketball. Uh, maybe not all of, you know, cause football still dominates, but uh, it, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find very many football players as well. That has the amount of reach and the amount of pull that Clay- Caitlin Clark has right now uh, at Iowa. And she's also, this is kind of a lane that'll be interesting for A lot of women's athletes, women's college athletes as well, because Caitlin Clark, she's good enough. She's going to make more money with the NIL deals and whatnot uh, at Iowa than she is going to make on a salary base, whatever to whatever team she ends up going to. So she can stay in college for as long as possible and make an absurd amount of money with no salary behind it, strictly through NIL deals. And she's going to make more money. That way, than if she goes into the WNBA, so the college NCAA uh, women's college basketball kind of has an interesting lane here that they can carve out where they could kind of be the new version of what old college basketball men's college basketball was like, where we would have a lot of the three, four year senior type of guys, five year senior type of guys, and you could create an identity uh, around your team that way and now we're seeing a lot of the one and done guys for college basketball it's hard to create that identity around a rotating roster and that could be the difference with the with the the women's college basketball because they're not going to make as much money as the nba guys who just leave their colleges one and done go to the nba make more money than they will in college it's kind of the opposite for the women's college basketball teams where if you're good enough you will stay in college uh and make more money that way than if you were to go in the in, into the wnba so They could carve themselves out a little lane in the women's game where we're seeing a lot more of that old school mentality in terms of staying in college for those four years, five years and becoming the identity of those teams and possibly even those regions. So it's very interesting to see the kind of the transformation of what NIL has done uh, as well as what it has done for mainly for women's sports as well and kind of around Caitlin Clark transforming her into more of this idea of what women's college sports could more or less become in the future, it's very cool to see. And she's just unbelievable at what she's does. She does as well. She's an unbelievable basketball player. She's amazing, uh, amazing shooter, amazing scorer. If you haven't watched her play, I implore you to turn on an Iowa basketball game and uh, watch what she is able to do. She is the she has been the leading scorer in literally every single one of their games so far this season. And she's scored as many as I think 45 points is her high this year uh, against uh, Ohio state in that loss. And then I think her low, her low was like 21 points against Florida Gulf coast in which she didn't play the full game. So uh, yeah, it's just one of the best players on the planet, male, female, whatever. uh, And she's pulling, Unbelievable ticketing prices. It's just something that I don't think we've ever seen a phenomenon that I don't think we've ever seen really, or at least in my lifetime that we've seen uh, in the women's college basketball game and just women's sports in general, it feels like so maybe a changing of the tide a little bit for uh, a lot of women's sports in what she's been able to do on the court uh, as well as off the court and and a lot of the promotions she's been able to get. She does state farm ads now. I think she's in a couple of other advertisements as well, Um, but she's becoming very identifiable Off the court as, you know, just a casual sports watcher will be like, oh, that's Caitlin Clark, the unbelievable college basketball player for uh, Iowa. So we'll see how that pans out, see how much it changes the landscape of college basketball in general and a lot of other and and a bunch of other college sports in general. Hey Kathleen, you know how they say homegrown is always better? You know, like homegrown beef, vegetables, and eggs? Yeah, I hear that a lot. Well, you know that the owners of 307 Real Estate were born and raised in Wyoming. The 307 Real Estate is a Wyoming-based company, so I guess you could call us homegrown? <laughs> yes, I would agree to that. We do know Wyoming and what we stand for. Family, community, and country. This is your property with Kathleen and Jack, and get it under contract. We are 307. We are Wyoming. 307 Real Estate. 307-763-1249. Whether it's installing a new system or taking care of what you have, there's a lot to consider when it comes to heating and cooling your home or small business, and that's where Alpine Climate Control excels. See more about the systems they install and service, and even schedule a consultation online at alpineclimatecontrol.com. You can also stop by and see their showroom with all working models of gas fireplaces, pellet stoves, pizza ovens, and more. Alpine Climate Control, just north of Sheridan College at 2705 Coffee Avenue in Sheridan. All right, you sickos. I know why we're all here. I know why we're all... It's big game week. It's Super Bowl week. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty of Super Bowl week, okay? We're going to get into advanced analytics, route trees, whatever. The whole shebang. I got a big old... I got 15 pages here of notes that I have taken of uh, certain things to look out for, uh, where we've kind of... How we kind of got to this point. Just a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about. So... Before we do that, I want to get a quick glossary, a quick glossary of terms that you're going to have to kind of keep an ear out for, okay? Number 1, if you're unaware of this term, I'm surprised because I've used it a lot, EPA, expected points added. Simply put, it measures the impact of a play by comparing the expected points of the drive before and after that play. A positive EPA indicates that a play has increased the team's chances of scoring. Well, a negative EPA suggests the opposite. Very simple. It's not the number one stat of all stats of all time. It's not the end-all, be-all of stats. But it is kind of a good way to monitor if your drive or game, you know, your, your drives, multiple drives, your certain players are doing a good job in terms of adding points to a drive or affect negatively affecting points um towards a drive that you're having so th- that is kind of a good way to monitor certain things on your team uh, and players on your team having positive effects on your team or multiple other things i mean the epa is kind of something you can see rushing the football passing the football you know defensive statistics it's all over the place so epa is kind of the one that you will see a lot of or hear a lot of especially in this episode today success rate is another one just a rate of getting a positive EPA on a play. Very simple, not difficult. It's just kind of a more, well did, more well-rounded out number of EPA. Uh, it's just the rate of getting a positive EPA on a play. That's your success rate. Also, also very easy. Another one, pressure percentage. That's a very big one. Uh, pressures are charted by FTN data and are defined by when the pass rusher affects a quarterback before the passes throughout. Pressure percentage has become a very big statistic in the world of football. Uh, more valued than I think a lot of sack numbers Uh, pressure percentage has become pressure rate has become a lot more, a a more highly valued statistic than sacks because sacks don't necessarily tell the the full story. Pressure rate kind of does tell more of the full story. It can be applied to offensive lines, offensive linemen, defensive lines, defenders, the whole lot. Um, If you're getting pressure, that is a good thing. Even if it doesn't necessarily convert to a sack Next, pressure to sack percentage It is calculated by dividing the number of sacks taken by the quarterback by the total pressures faced on passing plays. A lower percentage may suggest a quarterback's skill in avoiding sacks, while a higher percentage could indicate vulnerability under pressure. It can also be used for uh, defensive linemen to see how much pressure, uh, when they're getting pressure, how effective they are at completing the pressure and getting a sack, uh, and also obviously used um, to measure quarterback's ability to get out of pressure Uh, avoid sacks and whatnot so those are just a very small amount very small amount of uh, these glossary terms that you'll want to uh, keep an eye on and whatnot throughout uh, the rest of this podcast and really just as you're watching football for the future uh, this is a a, this is the best kind of these terms you'll use um, in the future when you're talking about football this is kind of the best way to evaluate how good your team is How, you know, these aren't the only ones by any means, Um, but, you know, these are kind of the terms that I think a lot of people, um, the good analysts, if you will, the very good analysts that watch a lot of football, uh, these are some of the terms that they will use uh, when watching football and analyzing football um, whenever they're talking football, whenever they're talking football. So let's get started. We're going to start with San Francisco 49ers offense versus the Kansas City Chiefs defense. Uh, The 49ers offense has been. The best, the best in the league. They're first in EPA per play, per pass, and per rush. Uh, far and away, been the best offense in the entire league. Um, they're, they're able to mix down, uh, down-to-down uh, consistency with a bunch of explosiveness. Just been the the best offense in the entire league. No surprise there. The Chiefs defense, uh, remarkably, they've been very good EPA per play. Fifth in EPA allowed per play and EPA allowed per pass. They have struggled in the run they've they really struggled in the run uh, in the run uh, 28th and EPA allowed per rush. So they are very much vulnerable against the run. Um, and that is something that the 49ers will obviously look to exploit with a guy like Christian McCaffrey in the back in the backfield. Arguably the best running back in all of uh, professional football. 49ers offense against uh, when looking at their passing uh, against pass pass rushers. Uh, first in blitz EPA per play against blitzes. Uh, They're the best team facing blitzes as an offense. And then second in the NFL uh, in non blitz EPA. So if you blitz them, if you don't blitz them, it's kind of a pick your poison situation. And this Chiefs defense, the poison that they are going to pick is more than likely blitz. They like to blitz a lot. They had a thirty-one point seven percent blitz rate in the entire league, uh, sixth highest in the entire league, uh, and they had a pressure percentage of twenty-nine point two percent. So on nearly thirty percent, thirty percent of dropbacks, the Chiefs were getting um, were getting pressure to the quarterback. So that is a very good number to have. That's second in the league. Uh, So you know, but again, blitz or non-blitz, the uh, San Francisco 49ers offense has been very very effective at getting the ball out having a very successful EPA um, when they have been pressured so again this offense it's a pick picker poison I there's not really a end-all be-all way to st- stop or slow down this offense it's kind of feels like right now uh, as far as this offense goes this 49ers offense it's keep them off the field as long as possible um the Chiefs, they do have the highest sack rate in the NFL when rushing four rushers, which is also very good. If you're not having to blitz more, uh, pass rush more than four guys, and you still have a very high success, uh, sack rate, that is a good thing. You do not want to be blitzing you know, very frequently against this uh, 49ers offense, obviously, as we have said. And when they're not blitzing, the Chiefs have been very effective at getting to the quarterback and sacking the quarterback when rushing just four. So very good uh, news for the Chiefs. But... Again, still a very effective team. Uh, The 49ers are are still a very, very effective team, even when facing blitzes or not blitzes. Uh, It does not really matter to them. The 49ers offense, in terms of their personnel usage, one of the most diverse personnel teams in the NFL, They more often than not run 11, 21 personnel, but they've mixed in uh, 12 personnel, 22 personnel, all over the place. They they do a lot of different personnel types. Uh, For those that don't know, 11 personnel is one running back, one tight end. Uh, 21 personnel is two running backs, uh, one tight end. 12 personnel is one running back, two tight ends. And 22 personnel is two running backs and two tight ends. So those are kind of your personnel usages. You can kind of count them yourself when you're watching football. If you want to do that, it's kind of fun. If you're just sitting on your couch watching the game, watch them break out of the huddle. Oh, there's Christian McCaffrey and there's George Kittle. There's no other guy on the outside outside of George Kittle or on the inside of George Kittle or on the opposite side of the offensive line or in the slot or anything. That's 11 personnel. You can kind of go through that. It's a little hard to do live, obviously, but uh, after the game, it is something that you can uh, kind of do and get an idea of personnel usage. And the uh, 49ers are a big mix of personnel They used to like to use a bunch of different personnel, but primarily they use 11 personnel uh, and then right kind of behind 11 personnel. They like to use 21 personnel. uh, So that is kind of what they do. The chiefs defense. They have primarily faced 11 personnel, 12 personnel throughout the season. They struggled more against 21 personnel than any of the other types of personnel that they have faced against, which should bode well Uh, for the 49ers as well. There is a lot of stuff in this breakdown that you will notice that the 49ers are kind of favored more heavily on than the Chiefs. Um, I think the Chiefs are kind of going to come in, lean on a lot of what they have off of Patrick Mahomes being the best quarterback in the NFL. And their defense has shown a very good ability, as we saw against the Ravens, as well as against the Bills, to slow down teams' pass game, sell out against the run, uh, and then slow down the pass game on the back end as well, which can really stall offenses. But they have not faced an offense quite like as explosive and as well-rounded as the 49ers uh, offense yet this year, or at least in these playoffs. Um, moving on, the coverage breakdown. 49ers offense, they faced a lot of cover one, cover three, cover two. They faced cover one like 35% of the time. That's the, mo- uh, the most that they have faced. It's not as much as anybody, everybody else has faced. They faced the third most amount of cover 3 in the NFL, um but they've also faced some cover 2, uh, and that's kind of been the uh, the frequency that they've seen a lot more often than not, but they've been very effective against basically all of those coverages. Um they're not really been a coverage that they've been bad against. Cover 3 they kind of sink down a little bit, but still 11th in the league in EPA and 18th in success rate. So it's not necessarily bad, just fall down more towards the middle of the pack. But when it comes to cover 1, cover 2, cover 2 man, cover 4, they're top 5 in EPA and success rate um the entire uh, throughout the rest of the season and all of those coverages so again pick your poison chiefs defense they primarily run a lot of cover 1 but they run some cover 2 cover 2 man at some points some of the highest rate at some of the highest rates in the NFL cover 2 and cover 2 man uh they're also very effective in their primary uh coverages such as man being their primary coverages they're very effective at man coverage but the 49ers as we'll get to are a team that kind of feasts on man coverage with a lot of their their plethora of offensive weapons, whether it be Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Juszczyk at times bringing back the fullback position in a whole different light. George Kittle, Debo Samuel, I mean, the list goes on. So they're a team that kind of hunts for man coverage to be honest. If you put them in man coverage, they will and Brock Purdy has been excellent at this. Find open men down the field uh and be and Kyle I mean also Kyle Shanahan's been able to scheme that, you know, basically since he's been a head coach. So, if you put people in man coverage against this team, dangerous game because they will find ways to exploit that and get them open into open field and that is uh, something that the chiefs like to do. They like to play a lot of cover two man cover one, uh, a lot of man coverage on this team. And, uh, they've been, they, the chiefs have been successful at it. Um, allowing the, third best success rate when in cover one at 39%, and then the ninth best uh, success rate when they're in cover two man at 39%, 39 39.8%, almost 40%. So a team that has thrived, been very good in man coverage on defense versus a team that has exploited a lot of man coverage against opposing teams. So it's kind of one of those situations, one of those questions that we'll have kind of towards the end of the episode here of things that one team is going to have to take advantage of versus the other And uh, one of the factors that is going to end up being the difference in this ball game, in my opinion. Also, looking at the route trees, 49ers route tree is very effective on offense at almost every single spot. They don't really have a bad area in terms of uh, going to different areas of the field, whether it be flats, slants, screens, corner routes, out routes, go routes, post routes, curl routes. I mean, they're all very effective in this offense. The only one. Where they have a below-average EPA versus the rest of the league is their dig routes, and they actually run that the most frequently. Uh, and that could just be kind of a because they run that most frequently, um, essentially a you know a, a rollback to the means, if you will, because of how effective they are in every other area. There has to be one area, obviously, where they're not very effective. And that's kind of been their dig routes. That they've run throughout the season, but they're everything else, literally every other route tree you can possibly imagine, they've been very effective at uh, on offense. So, uh, and then they're the defense for the Chiefs. The, they defend short passes very well, but do struggle on uh, go routes, some deeper stuff, curl uh, go routes, curl routes, some dig routes as well. So, uh, another one of those bend don't break type of situations for the Chiefs, where they'll they'll dominate up front and then. Uh, force you to pass deep down the field uh, against um, when when defending heavily against uh, the short passes and whatnot. So we will see where that one ends up. And then in their boxes, light boxes versus heavy boxes, the 49ers offense is actually kind of favored towards heavy boxes, especially in the run game. They're better in the run when facing a heavy box. And they see heavy boxes very frequently because of Chris McCaffrey. He will have that effect on you, but uh, when they are faced, they've they're faced they've been faced with the fourth most heavy boxes in the NFL, but they've still been incredibly efficient in both heavy and length. But actually, more efficient, kind of, in when facing heavy boxes in those uh, boxes in those scenarios, almost five yards of carry. Uh, when facing a heavy box, best EPA per rush in the league, best, best success rate in the league when facing a heavy box, and the second best explosive rate in the league when facing a heavy box as well. Kind of dips off just a little bit. Uh, when they see a lot of when they see light boxes, which they don't see it very often, it's about thirty four percent of the time. That's twenty eighth in the league. Um, but when they do see that, they're still very efficient. Second in yards per carry, uh, seventh in EPA per rush, seventh in success rate, and second in explosive rate. So it doesn't really matter to be honest with you Uh, for the 49ers offense, whether you hit them with a heavy box or a light box, uh, they will find a way to be effective uh, in either one, but they've seen more heavy box than, uh, Almost every other team in the NFL because of the Christian McCaffrey effect. Uh, as for the Chiefs' defense, they have the tenth highest heavy box frequency. They love to load the box to try to stop the run, um, but they do allow some. They they that allows them to limit some explosiveness in the run game. They're tenth in uh, explosive play explosive play percentage given up on defense when they load the box and eighth in success rate when they do lo- show a light box, which isn't very often. It's twenty second in the league in terms of how often they show it. It's about forty percent of the time they do get kind of picked apart. They give up an EPA rush of 0.04, which is 32nd in league, a 50% success rate, which is last in the league as well. And then 28th in the league in yards per carry. uh, When showing a light box, that's uh, 4.93 yards per carry 28th, which is fourth worst in the league. So they're a team that loves to show the heavy box and that they benefit from that when trying to stop the run, obviously. Uh, But when they do show a light box, they do get kind of picked apart on defense. So Uh, And again, I I think that's going to be there's not going to be much difference. I think the the, the Chiefs are going to show a lot of heavy box in this game, obviously, because they want to try to stop Christian McCaffrey and force Brock Purdy into those throwing situations. And I don't expect to see the Chiefs in a light box very often uh, on defense in this game. Uh, Okay, so now uh, switching sides, flippy flopping, if you will, San Francisco 49ers defense versus the Kansas City Chiefs offense. Chiefs offense still a, a down year. but. They were still top 10 in EPA per play, EPA per pass. Their run game still struggled a little bit, 21st in EPA per rush. As for the 49ers defense, they kind of slipped off a little bit this year. Kind of a quiet year for them as well on the defensive side of the ball. Top five in EPA allowed per pass, but uh, they were uh, they were 14, 13th in EPA per play, negative at 0.04, and 25th in EPA allowed per rush. Their offense really kind of outshined their defense this year in a a uh, lot of areas as for their pass rush breakdown. Chiefs have been fantastic at uh, limiting pressure, second in pressure, uh, pressure rate allowed at 14 percent, second in the league. Uh, they do give up a, a little bit of some problems in terms of when they get blitz, blitz EPA per play of zero point zero one. That's 19th. Uh, but when they're not blitz, they're ninth in the NFL Uh, 0.12 EPA per play, and the 49ers defense is not a team that likes to blitz a lot, which does lean in the Chiefs' favor. They had a blitz rate that was 30th in the NFL, 19.8%, and a pressure rate, pressure pressure percentage of 22.5%, which is 26th in the NFL. So surprisingly, one of the uh, lower pressure rates in the league uh, from this daunting, I guess, vaunted, 49ers defensive line. It did not have a great season in terms of uh, getting a lot of pressure rate going, um, but we'll see if that changes throughout this game as well. We'll see if Nick Bosa kind of wakes up. Chase Young wakes up and has a good game as well. Eric said as well. We'll see if all those guys could put together a good performance against this Chiefs uh, defense as far as, or excuse me, against this Chiefs offense. As far as personnel goes, uh, the Chiefs love, 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 love their, their baby Their baby is the 11 personnel. They love their 11 personnel. They run that about 75% of the time this year, basically all the time, if you will. Uh, excuse me, not 75%, about 63%. I was looking at the wrong one here, uh, about 63% of the time they ran, uh, 11 personnel, which was still very high. Uh, one of, one of the highest, uh, in the league, they used some 12 personnel as well. That was about, and that was an above average rate as well. Um, but it was basically 11, 12 personnel. They mixed some 13 personnel a little bit more in the playoffs as well. Um, but it was basically 11, 12 personnel for the chiefs, the entire season as for the 49ers defense, they faced 11 personnel nearly 75% of the time. That was the part that I mixed up on 49ers have faced 49, um, uh, 11 personnel, basically 75% of the time. It's the most they faced the next on their list. was 12 personnel and that was down to about 26%. So uh, a huge drop off in terms of what they have seen as a defense. But even when they have seen, uh, it doesn't really matter which personnel they show them. They have been very solid against basically uh, all personnel groups. Uh, the chief, something to keep an eye on, is when they are in 11 personnel they do run they do throw the ball 8.5% uh, an 8.5% higher clip over expected when throwing the football so they have a pass rate over expected of 8.5% when running the football or when uh, when in 11 personnel and throwing the football at 8.5% more than what is expected so that is something to keep an eye out if they come out in 11 personnel maybe in a running scenario they will run it about 8.5% of the time more often uh than The expected amount essentially. Uh, As for the coverage breakdown for the 49ers defense, they run a bunch of mixed coverages, a bunch of different stuff, but they primarily run cover one, cover three, also run a bunch of cover two, cover four. Primarily, it's cover one, 27% of the time, 23% of the time in cover three, and then 18.5% in both cover two and cover four. That cover four number, by the way, eighteen and a half percent for cover four. That's the third most in the league uh, at running cover four, and uh, cover two. They they run the most, uh, the tenth most cover two in the league as well at eighteen and a half percent. So they mix it up a ton. They had a cover one 27 percent of the time, but that's only twenty seventh most in the league, and that's their most frequent, uh, their most frequent covers that they run. So just from that, you can tell that they run a bunch of different types of coverages. Love to switch it up a lot. Uh, but it's basically one, two, three, four, uh, what they love to run. Um, they do, uh, as for the Chiefs, uh, the, the 49ers, they love to mix it up. But they're a heavy zone coverage team. The Chiefs have done well against zone coverage this season, uh, like cover two, cover three, and cover four. But they're not as good against man coverage. So we'll see if that more more of that mixed in for the 49ers against man coverage, uh, forcing the Chiefs to face A lot of man coverage, um, but, you know, they they faced a lot of cover one this year, cover three, cover two, cover four as well. Um, But they're more frequently facing cover one than anything. Thirty seven percent of the time Uh, and cover one. They faced 16 or excuse me, cover four. They forced uh, they've seen 16 percent of the time, which was fourth, uh, the fourth highest frequency of cover four in the entire league. Um, But they've been very efficient against cover three, cover two, uh, as well as cover six, which has been rare that they've seen that. But uh, they've seen a lot of uh, cover three, cover two, and they've been very efficient at getting good yardage off of those plays in terms of EPA and success rate. So, It'll be interesting to see what the 49ers come out and do on defense, uh, if they do a lot of man coverage to try to um, hone in on the uh, inefficiencies of the Chiefs offense, what they've had, uh, what they've they've struggled with throughout this season, which has been that man coverage, uh, or if they stick to their scheme, which has primarily been a lot of heavy zone coverage uh, and see if they can kind of adjust uh, to what the Chiefs are doing throughout the game. That'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on as well. Uh the Chiefs, in terms of route tree, they've been one of the best uh in the league in short passes like flats, screens. They've done a ton of those. Uh 18% of the time they're running a flat or th- completing a pass to a flat. 16% of the time it's a screen. Uh the net na- the, the highest that they end up going to is curl routes, but it's a below average EPA uh versus the rest of the league. So that they really kind of make their money this season on flats, uh screens, slants, some dig routes as well. They're really kind of an underneath team. They've kind of turned into an underneath team, which is weird to think about given where we were this, this exact game four years ago um, when we had Tyreek Hill on that, uh, that the play at the end, that kind of iced the game for the chiefs. Um, It's a completely different team at this point. They just completely different look and a uh, a completely different team. Uh, As for the 49ers defense, they have been much more effective at defending deeper routes. They have struggled at defending flats, flat and screen routes as well. So Something that will also lean into the Chiefs offense, the uh, Chiefs offensive advantage, uh, a team like the 49ers defense that is not great at defending those shorter routes. Uh, the uh, Chiefs offense can take advantage of as for their box situation. They are kind of 50 50 in both areas. They had a heavy box frequency of 50.2 percent and a light box frequency of 49.8 percent. Uh, They had a much higher frequency in terms of the rest of the league of seeing a light box, which is sixth at 49.8% versus a heavy box at 50.2%. That was 26th in the league. They've been a lot more effective at running the football in heavy boxes. They've been bad, straight up bad at running the football in light boxes, which is kind of odd. That is not something you see very often, but in heavy boxes, uh, fifth in yards per carry, 10th in EPA per rush. Uh, 14th in success rate, and that's right right, right about middle of the pack, but the 7.9% uh, explosive rate, which is also ninth, and a TFL percentage of 3rd against the heavy box. That's, those are good numbers uh, running against heavy boxes, and then if you switch over to the light box, the chief uh, Chiefs offense kind of completely falls apart against uh, when running the football in a light box. It's really weird. Uh, 28th in yards per carry, 29th in EPA per rush, 32nd in success rate and 30th in explosive uh, explosive play rate as well. So just really kind of backwards how this Chiefs offense performs a lot better running the football in those heavy boxes than versus the light boxes. It's kind of odd. Um, 49ers defense loves to play a high rate of light boxes, uh, seventh in the league in terms of frequency at 51.3%, 48.7% of high heavy boxes, 26th in the league there. So they like to play a lot of light boxes, which will lean good into the Chiefs seemingly inability to run well against light boxes. So we'll see if that changes very much if they make adjustments, if the Chiefs make adjustments against the 49ers light boxes and vice versa as that uh goes along. Now for position matchups, we'll go down in the, the big positions, uh quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and whatnot. Uh Chiefs, largely down here for Mahomes. For the most part, still finished top five in terms of EPA per play, top 10 in completion percentage and catchable pass rate. Still one of the best in terms of sack avoidance. He's unbelievable at avoiding sack. I think he was second in the league in pressure to sack rate there. It feels like seemingly is nobody better in the league at being able to avoid uh, a collapsing pocket and just get out of outside of the tackle box. And, you know, maneuver outside of the pocket and find open men that way. Other than Josh Allen, who I believe had the best pressure to sack rate, um, the least pressure to sack rate as a quarterback. There's largely nobody better at that position than he is. And uh, that's what he, that's what he does best. That's what he does best. And if the 49ers are only rushing four, just sitting back and waiting for him to make plays like that in their zone coverages, 49ers, or excuse me, the Chiefs will, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs will feast on that all game long. Uh, I think they just... It was in that Ravens game that Patrick Mahomes was sacked for the first time in this postseason. It was in that Ravens game and he's only given up and been, been sacked one time so far. And that's just kind of a testament to how good one that offensive line is, as well as um, being able to avoid those sacks, even though he is being pressured. So still a down year for him, honestly, not it really in the MVP conversation whatsoever, but top five in EPA, EPA per play top 10 in completion percentage. We're just kind of getting used to it at this point uh, for, for Patrick Mahomes. as for Brock Purdy blown preseason expectations out of the water. He finished with the best EPA per play, highest yards per attempt. The best, the big difference maker for him um, as we go into this game has been his ability to avoid sacks as well. Finishing seventh in pressure to sack percentage. Shanahan has never really had a quarterback that is like that. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is not somebody that's been very good at maneuvering the pocket, getting out of the pocket, avoiding those sacks situations. He is somebody that's kind of stone-footed when it comes into those situations, not being able to get out of uh out of the pocket and maneuver it and scramble essentially into uh solid pass plays or good run plays, a positive run plays uh and Brock Purdy even in in, a, in that Lions game, he really displayed a high uh, a very good um and a comfort level, a very good comfort level of being able to scramble as well as just maneuver the pocket and basically maneuver people open outside of the pocket. So that is something that will be a big difference maker for this game as well. If Brock Purdy can continue to do that, doesn't get you know the the spotlight's do not too heavy for him, holds him in place and whatnot. If he is still able to kind of maneuver outside of um, sacks and avoid that uh, number one sack rated team when rushing four. Uh, then that that'll bode very well for this offense, this 49ers offense. Running backs, the Chiefs. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco firmly the lead back for the Chiefs. He has a low tackle rate for loss, or tackle for loss rate. Gets good yards after contact. Again, low tackle, uh, tackle for loss rate. So he does. He gets hit in the backfield. Doesn't necessarily go down very often uh, into a tackle for loss. He's kind of reliable in that sense. They'll hand him the ball get him three, four yards. He's not the most explosive running back on planet earth, um, but he is somebody that if he gets hit in the backfield, he'll push forward, not fall down for the loss, put um, Patrick Mahomes and the rest of that offense into bad situations. He's also pretty solid out of the backfield with a lot of screens as well. We'll get to that here in just a second. 49ers, Christian McCaffrey, in my opinion, has been the MVP for this team. Brock Purdy has been very, very good, but I don't think personally, this team is anywhere near where it is without Christian McCaffrey being healthy And as dominant as he has been this season, uh, at the very least, the most diverse running back in the entire league finished second in explosive rate third in yards per carry uh, success rate and yards after contact. He's also uh, very high up in a lot of receiving stats for running backs. If not first in a lot of them, Um, he's basically a receiver out of the backfield that just starts behind Brock Purdy or next to Brock Purdy and they can motion him out. He can do a bunch of different stuff as well. So He has been unbelievable. He has been a complete difference maker for this team. And in my opinion, for my money, not a better running back in the NFL right now. As for wide receivers, uh, largely basically up until the playoffs, And even into most of the playoffs, it's largely been a two man team for the Chiefs in the receiving game. Kelsey's still a very, very good tight end, maybe not as good as he has been in years past. Again, it's been kind of a down year all the way across the board for this Chiefs team, Uh, but he's still very, he's been very good, um, high, you know, uh, up there in terms of EPA per play for tight ends, uh, yards per route run for tight ends, you know, the whole shebang. Rasheed Rice has really come online as well as being their best option out wide as the season has gone on. Um, been one of the better route runners for that team as well as EPA per play getters. He's just kind of given them that outside dynamic that they really haven't been able to found all or been able to find all season long, and even before that when Tyree Hill left to go down to Miami, they they never really had that um, reliable option on the outside, uh, and it feels like Rasheed Rice is kind of slipping into that uh, that role very well. And Pacheco, also a very good screen grid. I think he got like 35% of the time he goes out wide, he's getting a screen pass. So big a big, uh, a big possible big playmaker out of the backfield is Isaiah Pacheco for those screen options as well. For the 49ers, it's basically... Uh, They go four deep in terms of receivers. Brandon Ayuk's basically become a wide receiver. One, he's explosive for this team. He's a very, very, very good route runner. Debo Samuel, a very versatile offensive weapon out wide in the backfield. You can do a bunch of different things with Debo Samuel in terms of running him in motion and whatnot. He does a bunch of different things for this offense. McCaffrey, by far the best receiving back in the league as well as just overall, probably the best running back in the league. He's also the best receiving back in the league. And Kittle is probably a comfortable second place in terms of tight end uh, behind Travis Kelsey. I mean, you can make the argument for third. uh, just depends on what you're talking about. Like Mark Andrews is still very good, but I mean, George Kittle, you got to have him in that conversation as a tier one type of guy, uh, especially with uh, what else he can do. He's a very, very, very effective run blocker as a tight end out wide. Um, and that is kind of a dying a dying art uh, for tight end ones to be very good run blockers. And Kittle is kind of keeping that, keeping that alive. Um, And that's, that's good to see. So Kittle uh, and the rest of that 49ers uh, receiving core is just uh, good luck. Good luck for the chiefs. Uh, As for questions for this game, heading into this game, my questions for each team, or or I guess as the game goes along, number one, which defensive line can create negative plays in the run game, 49 49ers have struggled to creating those negative plays, especially early in the game. We look back at the divisional round, conference championship, Aaron Jones, Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, uh, Montgomery were all able to get hot early in those games, uh, break off big yardage situations, big explosive plays that led to touchdowns. Uh, and Chiefs also have struggled at defending the run at time, uh, the run game at times throughout the playoffs, especially against the Bills. They locked it up a little bit more against the Ravens, but that was largely because the Ravens just kind of abandoned it. Uh, but against that Bills team, they were. Uh, just uh, they were getting run over and then the bills kind of ran into that same situation where they just kind of abandoned the run game, even though they were in those game or in that game against the chiefs and the Ravens, obviously same situation. So which team uh, defensive line is going to create those negative plays in the run game that force those quarterbacks into throwing situations. That will kind of be one of the keys to the game. Uh, Will Kansas city be able to hold up in man coverage is another Key slash question mark I have. Chiefs play in the fifth most man coverage in the league and have been very effective in it thanks to very good secondary play led by Legeria Sneed. However, with the absurd amount of weapons that the Niners have, it becomes virtually impossible to cover every one of them in man, which is why they have nearly a 60% success rate against man coverage. Brandon Ayuk has been one of the best players in all of football at playing against man coverage. He has an unbelievable uh, separation rate. He's been... Basically impossible to cover out wide uh, for this 49ers offense. So what will uh, what will the Chiefs be able to do in order to slow that down? Are they going to stick to man? Or are they going to switch to zone? Uh, they're not nearly as effective at uh, stopping anybody in zone coverage as they are in man coverage. Jerry Sneed is one of the better cover corners in all of football. So you don't want to leave him into zones and then just have Shanahan scheme open other guys that are wide open against lesser than Quarterbacks. so what are they going to do what is that defense going to do what is steve Nola going to do one of the better defensive coordinators in all of football uh maybe ever as well because Spax is really uh he's really create a quite a name for himself as a defensive coordinator so a lot of uh interesting schemes are going to be leaned upon and have to be changed as this game goes along especially if we see Brandon ayuk debo samuel kind of start to feast uh, on guys in man coverage uh, george kittle as well um if he's able to uh, beat linebackers or safeties in that man coverage, we'll see if they end up switching their scheme a lot more throughout this game. Uh, another one: What will happen when Brock Purdy extends plays? Brock Purdy's ability to extend plays has been one of his biggest difference. Uh, differences between Purdy and previous quarterbacks in Shanahan's scheme. Purdy has a uh, 0.29 EPA per play on plays which he moved out of the pocket, and was then that's second best behind only Josh Allen. However, the Chiefs they're exceptional, allowing the second best EPA per play allowed at limiting plays when the quarterback was outside of the pocket. So when Purdy gets out of the pocket, will he be able to make good decisions, make good throws? advance the ball down the field or will the chiefs kind of force him into those situations and then kind of feast on the decision making that he is making create uh, you know uh turnover worthy plays create turnovers in those situations or make him make bad decisions get him into sack situations that sort of stuff uh that will be a big a big question mark in this game as well because again Shanahan has never really had this kind of mobility and and again also Purdy is not necessarily the most mobile quarterback in the world uh but his ability to maneuver around the pocket and out of the pocket and then scramble as well has been kind of a difference maker when it comes to uh, this offense kind of exploding onto the scene into what it has. So when he does move out of the pocket, will he make the correct decision? Will the Chiefs be able to scheme him into turnovers? What not force him into those bad decisions when he does uh, go out of the pocket, get forced out of the pocket and whatnot? We will see in that one. And then finally, what I have here, who wins the screen game? These are two teams that love to throw Screens. Mahomes led the NFL in percentage of passes that were screen passes, and the 49ers have the highest EPA per pass when throwing screens. This is, in my opinion, arguably the biggest key to this game. One of these teams has to be very effective when throwing screens because they are very important to how they run their offenses. Uh, I think if the Chiefs can get out... They're throwing screens to Pacheco or Kelsey. They like to throw Kelsey screens in the red zone. If they're effective at throwing screens, that could be a big difference in this game and vice versa. If the 49ers are able to break things open with Christian McCaffrey throwing screens or Debo Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk throwing screens, that could be a huge difference maker as well, because they, these teams both love to get their guys, their playmakers in open space through screens. They've been doing it all season long. And one of the biggest keys in this game to me is, will be who wins the screen game, both offensively and defensively. If defensively, if either one of the teams starts to shut down the screens, force uh, either of their quarterbacks um, to to make different decisions in those situations, we could see a different ball game kind of pan out because the screen game was really shut down, which I never thought I'd say. I've always been somebody that's been like anti-screen. I'm like, hey, I want the screen. I want to see screens less and less and less and less. Please, I don't like screens. But if they're done very well, obviously you get your, your playmakers in open space like that. That Can be hugely beneficial for your team, and we've seen that happen with the 49ers as well as the Chiefs all season long, especially the Chiefs more in uh, the playoffs as well as they become a little bit more explosive, uh, come playoff time. And their defense has you know been lights out all season long. So that's it, that's what, uh, that is what to kind of watch for. Personnel is to look for the route trees to look for, what they're running and whatnot. That is what to look for throughout this big Super Bowl matchup, a rematch of four years ago. Okay, you want my prediction? All right, all right, I'll give you my prediction. All right, I'll give you my prediction. Um, 49ers, they have been clearly, just basically from the beginning to the end, uh, their offense has been very largely unstoppable, but they can be slowed down in terms of keeping them off the field, and that will be... A big part of what I think the Chiefs come in and try to run a lot more of. They're a team that loves to run flats, loves to run screens, like I've talked about. They're a team that likes to, which is different than what they used to be, they kind of methodically go down the field. They'll hit Kelsey 15,000 times if they need to, as long as it slowly, methodically gets them down the field, gets them points. They're totally happy with that. That's a different team than what we've seen four years ago. That could be uh, what keeps them in the lead in this game and keeps Brock Purdy and then offense off of the field. Uh, and vice versa. The 49ers offense, when they are on the field, they'll probably, if the Chiefs come out and then just play their typical man coverage they've been playing all season long, this 49ers offense is good enough and the scheme is good enough that they will hunt, pick apart that Chiefs defense in man coverage. They have enough uh, of those weapons outside that they can kind of pick and choose where they want to go for positive plays, and that is something that I could expect them to see them doing. Uh, either one, this game to me is kind of run uh, one at the line of scrimmage. If... The, which is a hyper cliche, a bit a hyper cliche, but you know, wait, it kind of works in this scenario. Um, the pressure rate, pressure to sack rate for the Niners has kind of been missing all season long. It hasn't been great. Uh, the chiefs are dealing with some injuries on the offensive line. So if they are able to get the pressure, get to cheat or get to Patrick Mahomes with four, not having to blitz a bunch of guys. Uh, I think that will be huge, and if they are able to do that, they can come away winning this game, putting them in bad passing situations or tough passing situations, uh, deep passing situations, which they don't really have uh, the weapon like they used to to get out of those situations, Uh, and vice versa. Same thing with they're they're very similar in that sense Uh, Brock Purdy. If you get him into those situations where he's facing pressure all game, he can and has made mistakes. Look at that Baltimore game earlier this year where it felt like he was getting pressured on every drop back. Uh, He was making bad decisions throughout that game and that cost them that game. So whoever is able to get pressure to the quarterback kind of force them into bad decision-making preferably without having to blitz because both these guys are very effective when blitzed uh, finding those holes when blitzed um, then they will walk out the winner, in my opinion. that That is how this game is going to be won. Uh, it has to be done on the line of scrimmage. And personally, looking at rosters and how it's gone so far this year, I think the 49ers will probably walk away winning this one. They just have the bev- better talent tree top to bottom. Granted, Chiefs, uh, you know, it's hard to pick against the Chiefs at this point, to be honest with you, because I-, I picked them. I picked them to lose last week. The Ravens were also a more talented team top to bottom as well and lo and behold uh, we we saw what happened there. So it's hard to pick against the Chiefs obviously, but I think uh the, the the 49ers have been kind of sitting on that Super Bowl loss from 4 years ago. They've been antsy to get back to this position. They've really been building themselves up to get to this position um and I think I think this is the year for the 49ers. I think they finally get it done. I think they're able to slow down Mahomes and the Chiefs offense enough uh to get them a victory in this one. I think I'll go with 49ers 27 and the Chiefs' 21 49ers win a Super Bowl for the first time since... When's the last time they won the Super Bowl? 87, 88, 89, something like that? Late 80s? I don't even know off the top of my head, but it's been a while. It's been a while, but that's what I think is going to happen, and I think the 49ers are going to walk away victorious in this one. Okay, that's going to wrap it up, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back next week to recap this game. If any of my predictions are correct, probably not. I mean, that's just kind of how this game works. Predictions are just... They're guesses. Prediction is just a better word for guess. It's just a more sounds like a more smart word for guess. The sooner you learn that, the better off you're going to be. So get used to that. But that's my prediction. 27-21-49ers. Uh, we'll see how it ends up. Uh, we'll be back to recap it all next week. So we'll see you there. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. I have been your host, James Lake and you have been listening to the, uh, not the Saturday Morning Sports Report, the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. We'll see you next week.